The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. 8474. Paul Kim is the pastor of Redeemer San Diego, a PCA congregation nearby in Encinitas. He's a father to three children. He looks really young, but his oldest is now going off to college. And so such a blessing for the family as well. He's also one of our distinguished alums, and we're so grateful that he is here to share God's word with us. Paul, please join us and teach us this morning. Good morning. It's great to be here at Westminster, and thank you so much for inviting me to share briefly in God's Word uh, with you all. I look upon my time here at Westminster with great fondness. I'm so thankful for the education and the equipping that I received here, and so it's a a great joy. Um, The message I'm going to be sharing this morning comes from a series that we've been going through at our church on 1 Corinthians, and one of the things that's important to know about the, the, this letter, 1 Corinthians, is that there was tension. There was tension between the Apostle Paul and the Corinthian Christians. The Corinthian Christians were evaluating Paul because he didn't look the part. He didn't act the part. Apparently, he wasn't impressive enough according to the standards of power and wisdom that they were being shaped by from their uh, surroundings in their culture. And so in the passage that we're going to read, you're going to sense the relational tension that's in place. But this is more than simply a church family squabble, but it actually addresses a, a, a theme that's pretty significant and relevant to all of us. And it has to do with what we think of people and what people think of us. In other words, we are all evaluators. We live in a world where we're constantly evaluating everything. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. We're evaluating all the time. We evaluate movies, don't we? Uh, you might be looking at Rotten Tomatoes to think, is this a movie worth paying money for at the theater, or is it going to be a red box night? We evaluate restaurants. We look at the Yelp reviews to see if it's worth our money to spend. We evaluate books. And if you're like me, you'll read the first couple of chapters in a book and evaluate and say, is this going to be a skim read? Is this going to be a deep read? Or is this going to be no read? And uh, if, if there are books from professors here, it's going to always be a deep read, right? Just want to make sure I say that here in place. So uh, we evaluate all the time. And not only that, we evaluate people and ourselves. And so when it comes to evaluating others, it's very easy to size people up based on our values, our metrics, what we think uh, is important. And especially in a setting here at seminary, it's easy to evaluate people based on preaching, theological acumen, or uh, denominational affiliation. But not only do we evaluate others, but we evaluate ourselves based on how circumstances are going and how we think things are going. We have either an overinflated or underinflated view of ourselves, thinking that we are either crushing it or we're being crushed by it, whatever that it might be. So we're evaluating others, we're being ourselves, but lastly, we are being evaluated. I was reading an article several weeks ago about a church planter in New York. And on the first official Sunday of the church plant, he wrote in this article that he took nine pills that morning. 
three Xanax, three Zoloft, and three Propanol, triple the amount that his doctor had prescribed for him for anxiety. And this is what he said in the article, The Reason Why. He said, the seats were going to be packed with high-profile investment bankers, Broadway actresses, university professors, runway models, you name it. To me, everybody in the room was impressive, and I needed to impress them. I needed their approval, affirmation, and acceptance. I needed them to love me, and I mean love me. I needed to floor them with a level of oratory excellence they'd never experienced before. And I convinced myself the more pills I took, the likelier this would happen. And in the article, he goes on to say that he would spend 50 to 60 hours a week on his sermon because it had to be perfect and polished. And yet he goes on to say that that was not sustainable and it literally almost killed him. It's so easy for us to find our identity in what people think of us and how we are being evaluated by others and especially in the ministry. That is a reality. It's not for the faint-hearted. We're constantly going to be evaluated, and we're evaluating. So this morning, we're going to briefly look at a passage where Paul is being evaluated by the Corinthian Christians. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. I'm going to read it for us. If you could follow along, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 13. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you do not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you do not receive it? Already you have all you want. Here's Paul's being sarcastic a little bit here. Already you have what you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And with that, you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I, think, for, I, for I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men to be sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. This is God's word. I don't have much time, so let me jump right into just um, this brief sermonette devotional. I want to first talk up to those who are evaluating, secondly, to those who are being evaluated, and third, to both groups. And by the way, we are in all those groups. So the first one is a word to those who are evaluating. Our passage here tells us that we need to evaluate the way that we're evaluating others. That we need to evaluate the way that we are evaluating others. As I already mentioned, uh, evaluating in and itself is not a bad thing. In the next chapter, in chapter uh, 5 and 6, Paul is evaluating a situation in the Corinthian church where there was sexual immorality taking place. 
And he calls upon the Corinthian Christians there to evaluate the situation in light of God's word. So we are called as Christians to evaluate under the authority of God's word and for his truth. It's not a bad thing. The problem that Paul had was the way that they were evaluating him. And two particular things that they were doing, their evaluation was presumptuous and it, and it was premature. It was presumptuous in verse 3 when Paul says, It is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. The word for judge there in the Greek means to be scrutinized, to examine and to scrutinize. And Paul is calling upon them saying, Since when did you become and appoint yourselves to be the, the arbiters of truth? When did the, when did the buck stop with you? And he's reminding them that in the midst of that, that their evaluation is finite, and the one that really matters is God, and that God is the ultimate evaluator. And he goes on to talk about in verse 6 and 7, because of their presumption, they were puffed up. That Greek word for the first time appears in this letter here, puffed up with their pride and arrogance. So it was presumptuous, but not only that, it was premature. Paul says to them in verse 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time. So Paul is warning them of making premature judgments, and he reminds them that their evaluation of things is finite, it's temporal, and what really matters is the infinite, the eternal, the evaluation that comes when Christ returns, and we are to be living and, and evaluating all things under that perspective, that umbrella in mind. So for us here today, like Corinth, it can be very easy for us to evaluate along the same lines the same grid with presumption and, and premature and based on values of power and wisdom. Um, some of the reasons why. Our culture, in our modern culture, the emphasis is on this world is all there is. So if this world is all there is, I like the way that Mike Horton mentions it in his book, Ordinary, that if you came from nothing and, and you'll end up with nothing, somehow you think that in your, in your life you have to make a big splash. And in that big splash, however big that splash is, you're going to evaluate. Other people, how big is their splash? But secondly, we live in a very individualistic culture. And so we become our own decision makers and evaluators, our own authority. And thirdly, like Corinth, much of our cultural milieu, our context, is so similar to Corinth where we value wisdom and power and success at the top, and that becomes the way we evaluate people and, and ourselves on whether how successful we are or how well we're doing and so forth. Now, I know I'm speaking to a group of seminarians uh, and in, in a Christian setting, and so maybe these those reasons might not directly apply, but just as this church in Corinth was being shaped by its surrounding its culture, so it is so easy for us to be shaped by our surrounding culture and not even realize it. As Joel mentioned, I have got three kids, and so we have our, uh, our family worship, and we have a time where our kids go through catechisms. And for myself, I go through catechisms, and there's a book called The Preacher's Catechism by um, Lewis Allen. I highly recommend it. It's a great book. And as a pastor, I encourage people in our church to go through the learn the catechisms is important. And there's some who feel like, well, that's so archaic. It doesn't seem like it's very important, necessary. And I and I and my response to them often is this: Do you know that you're being catechized? Do you know that all of us are being catechized? You, your children, every single person? Because our culture is catechizing us every single time through images on social media, through what you see in the movies, and the books, and the magazines, and the songs. We're we're being catechized all the time. And how much time you spend in something often shapes you without you realizing it. 
So how much time are we being shaped by God's word or how much are we being shaped by our culture? And the message that's being catechized by our culture is that you need to be successful, not unsuccessful. You need to be charming. You need to be influential, not boring. You need to have the right pedigree. You need to have the right resume in place. And so without even realizing it, that can become our default mode, our modus operandi when it becomes the evaluation grid that uh, we are looking at our others and ourselves. Unless we think that this doesn't apply to us, that it's not a struggle for us in this particular setting, keep in mind the church in Corinth, that these Christian, that these Christian men and women, they viewed themselves as spiritually mature and wise. And they had some of the greatest teachers in place, like the Apostle Paul, like Cephas, like Apollos, who were like the fourth, fifth, and sixth members of the Trinity. I'm kidding. I don't want to freak out the professors, right? But they were, they had some of the greatest teachers in place. And it doesn't take a far jump to realize while you're here in seminary, I'm speaking to people who are not neophytes in the gospel, people who love God and His Word, and who want to be equipped into the, the ministry, who are being taught from some of the best professors around. And so all the more we need to be careful. It's so easy for us to be Corinthian rather than Christian. So that's the first thought here, a word to those who are evaluating. Secondly, to those who are being evaluated. Our passage here tells us that we are not to be defined by what people think of us or even what we think of ourselves. So Paul says in verses 3 and 4, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So Paul, you're saying he doesn't even care what people think of him. He doesn't even care what he thinks of himself. That's a truly stunning statement. He says, what you think of me, I don't care. But even for me, if I evaluate myself and I'm finding that there's nothing wrong, I don't even take that into consideration. So Paul realizes that any human evaluation is faulty and imperfect that any human evaluation that comes is going to be finite, it's imperfect, it's not lasting, it's, uh, it's not going to see everything or know everything. He says, there's actually, he says, there's one evaluation that really everyone should be concerned about. The one that is fine, the infinite, the one that is eternal, the one that is perfect, the one that's perfectly righteous. And Paul says, that comes from God. It's his evaluation that matters most. But the problem is, When we are evaluated by others, it's so easy to elevate their opinions and thoughts and become formed and shaped by it. One of my friends who's a pastor, he gives the illustration of the inflatable tube dancer. So if you've seen those, you know, around at like a car dealership, they're just kind of waving around and everything. And guess what? That's you and me. Because when we receive the, the positive evaluation from people, we're like dancing. It's like, oh, how wonderful. This is great. And then when we don't receive that, can you relate? Because I know that I can. And our egos are so fragile and insecure. And if you can relate to that, life becomes an endless performance evaluation and audition. And by the way, religion's like that, isn't it? Religion is a performance evaluation before God that you need to do well and perform and, and obey in order for God to be pleased with you. And if not, you know, the negative evaluation and criticism will come. And I think deep down for every human being, whether you're Christian or not, 
We long to be accepted not based on our performance because we know it's faulty. And that's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? That in contrast to religion, the gospel says that you are accepted not on your performance but the performance of one. That you are accepted not based on what you do but what on Jesus Christ has done for you and lived for you. And when that becomes the center point of our soul, when that becomes our reality, then it'll change the way we view the evaluation grid that we can so easily be shaped by the world. Which takes me to the third and final thought here. To those who are evaluating and to those who are being evaluated, the gospel gives you a renewed lens upon which, uh, a renewed lens of an evaluation paradigm that we ought to be formed and shaped by. So the Apostle Paul is being evaluated by these Christians in the church. It's negative, and what's stunning is he doesn't lash back, and he's not vindictive. One scholar in his commentary talks about how Paul's response is remarkable because in that day, the philosophers, when they were insulted, you insulted them back. For the Stoics, when you were insulted, you didn't, you didn't lash out, but you didn't do anything because out of contempt. They were just so far beneath you, not even worth your time. And according to Jewish tradition, if you were tortured or being martyred, the Jewish tradition, it said, was that you would threaten them saying, this is what God's going to do to you. He's going to torture you. This is what's going to happen to you. So it was scorn and payback. But look how Paul responds. In verses 9 and 13, 9 to 13, he says this, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. And so when Paul is being criticized and judged, he doesn't, uh, he's not vengeful. When he's insulted, he blesses. When he's persecuted, he patiently endures. When he's reviled, he speaks back gently in return. What sort of person behaves and acts like that when receiving negative evaluation? And the answer is one who has a Savior who responded like that. Out of deep love for you and for me in order for us to be accepted by God. And when you listen to what Paul is saying here as apostles, who does that ultimately describe? Who does that sound like? It is Jesus. As Jesus took upon our sin and as he hung on the cross, he became weak so that we could become strong. He was made a spectacle before the world. The crucifixion, not only an instrument of torture, but of shame. He he was made a spectacle of shame to cover our shame. He hungered and thirsted so that you and I could be filled. He labored so that we can rest. He died so that we can live. And Paul goes on with the strongest metaphor. He says he became the scum of the earth. He says Jesus became the scum of the earth as he bore upon and took upon our sin so that we could receive the ultimate commendation and approval of God. And my friends, when that reality of the gospel resets your soul, and it ignites in you the wonder and the reality of Jesus, 
it will change the way you evaluate others and the way you view being evaluated by others. You're not going to be like that inflatable two-person dancing around for people's approval because you know that you have the approval in Jesus Christ. Thank God for the active obedience of Jesus. Not only that, you're not going to be presumptuous and premature in your judgments and evaluations on people. You're not going to be judging people based on, on wisdom and power of this world, but you'll be humble and gracious. Thomas Akempis said, once said, He that well and rightly considereth his own works will find little cause to judge hardly of another. So this morning, may the gospel give you a renewed lens, perspective when it comes to evaluating others and when it comes to us being evaluated. For in the work of ministry, that will be a constant reality. You will be evaluated. And you're going to be called to evaluate under the authority of God's word. But may God give you the incredible wisdom and humility and resilience that is formed out of the gospel that comes from Jesus. May that become our reality and experience. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this time. God, fill us with the wonder and the joy of knowing that our identity is found in you. How grateful we are that we are accepted, not based on our performance, but on the performance of one who lived and died for us. Jesus, thank you so much. And Lord, um, may our lives be formed and patterned out of the reality of our Savior, for we are found in you. Give us that fresh perspective, that joy and hope that's found in you, even today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California, 2019. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.